This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, May 22nd, 2023. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, the UAW and Clarios reach a tentative deal in Ohio. CarMax leads used only dealers. And the electric Escalade is coming. Plus, we'll hear from Beth Osborne, Vice President of Transportation at Smart Growth America, who says U.S. roads have become dangerous by design. Why is it a mystery that we have a safety problem? Of course we have a safety problem. Where does safety fit into that regime? Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Workers at a Clarios vehicle battery plant near Toledo, Ohio, have reached a tentative contract agreement with the supplier. A top union official broke the news to Automotive News today. About 400 members of UAW Local 12 struck the supplier to General Motors and Ford on May 8th. The UAW rank and file are scheduled to discuss the tentative deal and then hold a ratification vote later today. UAW Region 2B Director David Green was not able to share the details of the proposed agreement. The Clarios plant in Holland, Ohio, employs about 650 people and produces 125,000 to 150,000 batteries a week. There was no immediate comment from a Clarios spokesperson. Used vehicle retail giant CarMax tops Automotive News' debut list of retailers by used vehicle-only sales. Joining CarMax on the inaugural list is a mix of national and regional used vehicle retailers with high-volume multi-store operations. There are also publicly traded online used vehicle retailers that gained more prominence in the last decade and grew sales volume substantially during the COVID-19 pandemic. CarMax sold more than 800,000 used vehicles in its fiscal year that ended February 28th. That's down 13% from the previous year. Meanwhile, wholesale used vehicle prices are expected to gradually cool through the rest of the year after an unseasonable rise to start 2023. Improvement in new vehicle inventory levels and an uptick in incentives will probably undercut used vehicle demand through the rest of the year and could drive down used vehicle prices. However, BlackBook Chief Data Science Officer Alex Yurchenko says a used vehicle inventory crunch expected to deepen through the year likely will keep used vehicle prices from falling dramatically. Franchise dealerships already grappling with tight used vehicle supply will encounter more scarcity as fewer lease returns flow back into the market. Leases dropped dramatically in 2020 when COVID-19 closures stunted new vehicle production. Ford says it has signed a long-term deal with Namaska Lithium to supply lithium products, including lithium hydroxide, as the automaker ramps up electric vehicle production to 2 million units by the end of 2026. Today's announcement comes as the automaker held an Investor Day meeting this morning. The deal with the Canadian lithium company comes as North American automakers race to secure supplies of battery materials to boost EV output amid surging demand for environmentally friendly vehicles. Earlier this year, Ford joined overseas partners in a $4.5 billion nickel processing plant in Indonesia. 
Ford says the deal will strengthen its sourcing to produce 2 million EVs by the end of 2026 and beyond. That's at a time when doubts linger on Wall Street about the automaker's ability to hit that target. And Cadillac will reveal an electric version of the Escalade SUV this year, dubbed the Escalade IQ. The IQ name, which Cadillac confirmed today, dates to 2021 when General Motors applied to trademark it. Automotive News has reported that the Escalade IQ is expected in 2024 and may be built at GM's Factory Zero plant in Detroit. GM also trademarked the name Escalade IQL, which Automotive News has reported will adorn an electric version of the longer Escalade ESV expected in 2025. Cadillac declined to provide additional details about the Escalade IQ or confirm whether the name will also apply to a longer version of the SUV. The Escalade was Cadillac's top-selling U.S. model in the first quarter and in 2022 and in 2021 when the brand prioritized more profitable vehicles amid the microchip shortage. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, Smart Growth America's Beth Osborne talks about her vision for addressing the epidemic of driver and pedestrian deaths on America's roadways. That's next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. The U.S. faces an epidemic on the roadways. As U.S. roads became less crowded during the pandemic, experts say some motorists perceive police as less likely to issue tickets, likely resulting in riskier behavior on the roads. Speeding deaths in 2020, for example, jumped 17%. Despite the slight overall decline in deaths last year, the number of pedestrians and bicyclists killed on U.S. roads is still rising. Beth Osborne is Vice President of Transportation at Smart Growth America. She explores the role car-centric infrastructure plays in a growing traffic fatality crisis and how drivers are often blamed for errors that would be prevented by better design. Osborne spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. 
you know, you mentioned you're interested in connecting people in safe and efficient ways and, and a healthy, resilient transportation system. Give us a bit of a status report here to, at the outset of the podcast. How are we doing on those things right now? Well, uh, particularly on the safety side, we're doing absolutely terribly. Uh, we are so dangerous compared to our counterparts internationally that when international organizations do reports, they repeatedly call out the United States and point out if the U.S. were taken out of their statistics that everyone would be doing very well. But the U.S. is doing so badly, it can make even overall uh, improvements look like uh, everybody's doing poorly. We absolutely savage their reports and bring everybody down. So just a few weeks ago, NHTSA released its latest annual traffic fatality figures. And I think that's when we started talking about uh, you know your appearance on the podcast here. And just to go over those numbers, uh, last year, they estimated there were 42,795 traffic deaths in the US. Obviously, for, for so long now, there's been a lot of well-meaning efforts a lot of organizations that are dedicated to driving down that number and instead it just keeps going up. So like without singling out any one of those, why are our collective efforts to, to eradicate traffic deaths instead backfiring here? Well, I don't think we are being quite honest about what our real goals in transportation are. Um, our, our number one goal is to make sure vehicular traffic is moving smoothly. That is the goal. The first thing you look at as an engineer when you start to design a roadway is how many vehicles do I need to accommodate and how do I design a road to keep those vehicles moving smoothly? Now, once we have accomplished that, our hope is that it will be uh, an affordable, safe system, but that's coming in on the back end of the real goal. We want a safe system where the vehicles are in no way slowed down or interfered with. But we'd like to pretend that is not the case. If we design for safety first, the vehicles would be slowed down and drivers would be interfered with because safety would be the priority, not their, the fluidity of their movement. What's, of course, fascinating is everything we do to make that uh, vehicle travel so fluid does not actually accomplish that. So we lose out on both sides. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think it's really important to recognize is when I say that we're looking at accommodating the vehicles and moving them fluidly, let's think about what is left out of that statement. Your arrival at a destination. We don't measure that. It's incidental, it's not included, it is not a goal. We assume that if the vehicles move smoothly, you will arrive, but whether you do or not is not something we pay attention to. That's because in the earliest days of the highway program, we had no way to do that efficiently. We have had a way to do that really since the invention of GIS, which is not a recent invention. We just don't. We continue just to look at the vehicles. So if people drive in circles indefinitely, that is an A plus system as long as it is at uh, the speed limit. If however, you drive 
in a very trafficked area, but still get to a whole bunch of destinations in five or 10 minutes. That is a failure that is worth spending millions, if not billions to eradicate, including if it means taking out the buildings and the destinations you're going to. That's the mindset we walk into in this country on our transportation system. It is hard for safety to find a, a place, an effective place in that regime. So along those lines, we take that number that we started with 42,795, and that amounts to 117 people a day are dying on American roads. Is Have we just come to accept the fact that that's a, a, a cost of participating in our transportation network? To your point, if the goal is fluidity, um, is that where we're at right now, where yes. we just kind of accept that this happens? Yes. There is nobody in a position, uh, that's not true. There are few people in a position of power that actually care enough about safety to interfere with the movement of vehicles. Uh, we have a system in place now where if uh, if someone wants a crossing, we have to have a whole bunch of people run out illegally and jaywalk to justify it. If they get hit, it's their fault, and that's human error. And if they don't run out, there's nothing to justify the crossing, because if the vehicles, the people in the vehicles are made to wait 10 to 20 seconds, that is too high of a, quote, economic price to pay for the safe crossing of humans. I don't. Why is it a mystery that we have a safety problem? Of course, we have a safety problem. Where does safety fit into that regime? When we talk about making things safer, we blame the people. We, we have a system where as a driver, you're told this roadway is wide open and straight ahead, like, like a speedway, like a racetrack. If, however, you're fooled by that design and you go at a comfortable speed for that design, but they've marked the speed limit lower, that's your fault. That's human error. Now, we all have a word for that. It's called a speed trap. We all know that we design our roads in a way that tricks humans. Why aren't we designing our roads so it's obvious to humans what speed they should be driving? Make the comfortable speed the obvious speed, the design speed. And then once people are going that fast, often 55 miles per hour on surface roads, we built the interstate system because we knew that was patently insane. It would be ineffective, inefficient, and dangerous. So we built a whole separated system because no fool would ever put 45 to 55 mile per hour roadways through communities. But now we do it as a matter of course. And then at those speeds, people are expected to see every potential point of conflict. Now on our interstates, we reduce the conflicts. We say to those drivers, we are going to separate you from oncoming traffic. We are going to give you space on the side. So if you lose control of your vehicle, there's space over there uh, on a shoulder to recover. We're going to give you nice wide lanes. And when people come on and off, we're going to manage that, uh, that interaction. We're going to give people places to merge on and off. On our roadways, we have surface parking. We have driveways. We have crossings. We have cross streets. We have a plethora of potential conflicts. 
So now we told the driver, go fast, spot every potential conflict that is all around you and stop on a dime. Well, physics in our universe does not permit that. But unfortunately, we then blame the human for for following the design cues and then not being able to spot every potential conflict and stop on a dime. Again, why is it a mystery that our roadways are unsafe? We have created a trap for our drivers and then we blame them when they fall into our trap. This is making me think of the earliest days of self-driving vehicles um, decades ago when they were still science fiction. And you you see in a lot of the early pictures of, of what, what self-driving vehicles in cities look like. And it's it's on elevated roadways or roadways that are very much separated from the pedestrian traffic. And I don't know, you're, you're making an argument in some way that that it should should be separated right now, or we should have a different, obviously a different infrastructure than the one we have. And maybe that's one permutation of that. Well, I am absolutely making an argument that a decision needs to be made about what kind of roadway we are building. So if we are building a throughway, we know how to do that safely. It is our separated interstate system. You you don't have development on the side. You don't have parking on the street. You don't have driveway entrances all over the place. You don't have cross streets and you don't have vulnerable users. And if you want that roadway to support local business, you slow down the traffic because everything, human or computer, needs time to react to conflicts. Even the AV will operate better if it's driving at a speed that it makes sense for being able to respond quickly to a conflict because even a computer can't overcome the laws of physics and stop a heavy vehicle in a very short period of time. And we won't make that decision. We do the in-between. We make a highway that's supposed to be locally serving. So it's a throughway and it's a, a, a street at the same time. And it fails miserably at both. And I, I must steal from my friends at Strong Towns. Uh, they like to compare it to a futon where it's a bed and a, a couch, but it's an uncomfortable bed and couch. It's not good at either one of those things. That is the standard for building our roadways in this country is something that's trying to be two conflicting things at once and failing. Beth Osborne is vice president of transportation at Smart Growth America. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news reporters Paige Hodder, CJ Moore, Mark Homer, and Lindsey Van Hulley for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on traffic safety, ongoing UAW strikes, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a closer look at the new Tacoma and how critical it is for Toyota as competition bites into its dominance in the midsize truck market. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.